Welcome to Nutrition Unmeasured, a podcast for dietitians, students, but also parents, caregivers, and everyone in between looking for non-restrictive, body-inclusive ways to be nourished and live well. Hosted by me, Gina Forster, an anti-diet registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor from Columbus, Ohio. Go box. For years as a dietitian, I focused on methods of weight loss and management for myself and those I worked with until I finally realized I was doing it all wrong. I started this podcast to give listeners a better understanding of intuitive eating and health at every size with interviews, recipes, nutrition, self-care, and so much more sprinkled in between. Before diving in, I want you to know you can still find episodes of my previous podcast listed here or on my website, which I co-hosted with dietitian Nicole Morrissey called Dietitian's Dish. I left these episodes because they're good and we're proud of them. Many of these episodes talk about intuitive eating, health at every size, self-care, body acceptance. So please scroll through if you're interested. But I want to make it clear I started the podcast at a time when I was still struggling with the belief that wellness and health had a certain look and that restriction and moderation were at least somewhat best. I just want you to be aware of this as you go back to listen. A lot of my thoughts, beliefs, and opinions on a variety of things have changed since then. Thank you so much for listening and for your support. Welcome back to the Nutrition Unmeasured podcast. This episode is brought to you by my personal intuitive eating and wellness program. Allow me to be your personal coach through the 10 principles of intuitive eating. During this journey, you will receive a workbook to have throughout, a helpful body positivity journal, access to me at any time, and bi-weekly one-on-one calls to work through anything that's holding you back. Before getting started today, I'd love to ask for a review if you're loving this podcast. Reviews only take a few seconds and really help me grow the listenership. So, of course, I'd appreciate it. Updates since last time. Well, uh, when this comes out, it's almost going to be Halloween. I'm wondering if you have kids, what are they going to be this year? Uh, I'm going to be boring, as I always am, and be Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz. Why? Because it's a costume I will always have. (laughs) And I don't know. I have this thing. I... I'm so sick of spending money around Halloween for Halloween costumes. I know when I was a kid, my mom either made them for me or our neighbor who was really crafty made them. And I feel a little bit of mom guilt about having absolutely no desire whatsoever to make or get creative about Halloween costumes for my kids. So I just go straight to Amazon every year and ask what they want to be and buy it. Uh, So I feel like I'm just going to be Dorothy for the rest of my life. So I'm spending money on their costume and not my own, which is totally fine with me. Uh, So Paige is going to be an angel this year, which I guess she and her two best friends have decided to all be angels, which I was like, that's great, easy, done. And then Cameron really wanted to be something that involved like a Uh, you know, a machine that blows up, you know, I'm sure you've all seen it, that giant dinosaur, the T-Rex, which is always hilarious when I see someone in that costume. That's what he wanted to be. But I said, no, but we landed on a Mario and Yoshi combination, which is actually quite hilarious. Uh, Yeah. So looking forward to seeing how how that goes, uh, because he's not going to be able to sit down uh, when he wears it to school. But whatever. That's what he wanted. That's what we're doing. Uh, can't believe that it's almost Halloween and which means that literally the next day is holiday season, right? November 1st is when the hol- holiday music begins and just the sights and sounds of the holidays are going to be in full force, which I was once a Scrooge. I'm not going to be a Scrooge anymore. I'm not a Scrooge anymore. I was definitely once a Scrooge when it came to the holidays, but I've gotten over that. Uh, so I'm actually 
quite excited about the holidays this year. Nothing fun planned, but just I'm excited. I'm going to hopefully um, do some some holiday traditions that we that we've done in the past. I'll get into that the next episode. But uh, yeah, happy Halloween to everyone. I know it's a little bit early, but happy Halloween. All right. Okay, let's 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 uh, introduce you to Jennifer Anderson, who I am interviewing today on the podcast. She's a mom of two, a registered dietitian, and has a master's of science in public health from Johns Hopkins School of Public Health. In 2019, she founded Kids Eat in Color, a resource for families seeking evidence-based information and strategies on child nutrition and feeding. Prior to starting Kids Eat in Color, she coordinated youth nutrition programs at a food bank performed research in urban food deserts, and consulted for the USDA National Office SNAP-Ed program. Her academic background is in public health nutrition, cultural anthropology, and economics. All right, we'll go ahead and bring on Jennifer Anderson. All right, today I've got with me Jennifer Anderson, the owner of Kids Eating Color. Jennifer, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Gina. Yeah, and I should say, welcome back to the podcast, which is now Nutrition Unmeasured. The last time you were on here, it was actually the Dietitian's Dish podcast with Nicole. But yeah, same same difference, I guess. Just yeah. one host yeah. this time. <laughs> so I want to do a little bit of some, um, just some questions for our listeners to get to know you, some icebreaker questions. I always ask the two, same two questions. I haven't changed them up yet. Uh, the first one is, Jennifer, what is your favorite food of all time? Oh, my gosh. You know what? I will be honest. This is my, like one of my least favorite questions because I'm a person that doesn't have a lot of favorites. <laughs> but I can say I very much enjoy kettle cooked potato chips, just plain salted. And I also really enjoy broccoli. So how's that? Yeah, no, that was good. I... I've had a couple people tell me, you know, like uh, generally healthy foods that are other favorites. I had someone say lentils once and it kind of threw me off. Broccoli's throwing me off a little bit, but you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, yeah. I also love broccoli. So yeah, more power to you. And kettle. Yes. kettle. <laughs> if that can be one of your favorite foods, I think that is that is great. Uh, and kettle cooked popcorn or chips. Like when you first sent kettle, I thought you were going to say popcorn. Oh, no, and no, Then no, you no. went the chip route. Yeah. Potato chips all the way. Yes, I am with you. They're so they're usually really, really crunchy and thick, which is why uh-huh. I like them better that way. Oh, yes, yeah, for sure. Yes. Good answers. All right. Best vacation or place that you visited? Oh, my gosh. That's a great question. You know what? This summer we had. So every summer we go to my parents. They're on the West Coast for Grandma's Adventure Camp. And uh, this year... One of my brothers got married and all the aunts and uncles and there's just, I have a lot of siblings. And so there's, you know, four sets of aunts and uncles and now there, you know, there's there's partners and, and spouses. And so I just feel like my kids were so enveloped in that family feel. And then for the first time we took them to Disneyland after grandma's adventure camp and they just had like such a good time. So, um, you know, in my recent memory, the ability to just have so much good family time on so many different levels and see the kids learn to ride the roller coasters and even ride some of them by themselves. It was just it was just really special. 
Oh, that sounds like so much fun. I've never been to Disneyland, only to Disney World. I hear it's pretty pretty similar, just a lot smaller, mm-hmm. which honestly sounds great to me. I yeah. don't love big amusement parks, so it sounds lovely. Yeah. So I'm glad you guys had fun. I know it can be, it can go either way. You know, a, a trip to Disney can be super stressful or a lot of fun or a little bit of both, you know? Yes. Oh, I, I mean, we went with our kids, right? So... I mean, we're we're always parents, but two of my brothers went with us. And so there were four kids or four adults for two kids, which was great. And, you know, as long as you're a parent going with reasonable expectations. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's the key to having fun is those realistic expectations. Yeah, I could not agree more. All right. So you were back. Uh, you were on the podcast when it was Dietitian's Dish back in September of 2022. I'm going to go ahead and put that. Uh, that episode link in our show notes. But in this episode, we're going to talk more generally about ways to raise intuitive, or I'm sorry, in that episode, we talked more generally about ra- ways to raise intuitive and curious eaters. But today, we're kind of shifting gears and talking more about specifically kids and sugar. Mm-hmm. But before we get into that, can you tell listeners more about your food philosophy in general and uh, also maybe your food philosophy when it comes to raising kids. And also, if you want to talk about your kids too, like what their ages are and how many you have. Sure. So I have two kids. They're two two boys. They're eight and 10. Um, when it comes to food philosophy, I think that this is, every family has their own philosophy. And if I were to just have one statement, it's that every family is going to find the right feeding environment and food to feed their children. Um, based on their setting and who they are. And I think the parents' ability to make the right choices for their family, whatever they have decided is best, is something that I will always respect and support, even if it's not um, exactly something that I would choose. That said, kind of going forward, I really try to base everything in the evidence that we have now. Like, what do we know about kids and food and feeding and eating? It doesn't mean that we know everything, but there is quite a bit of research out there. And so when I come bringing information, it's always based on, um, you know, studies that groups of people have gotten together and they've said, okay, what happens if we do this or what happens if we do that? You know, what do we know from all these little experiments that have been done over time? And then how can we apply that? And also just realizing, okay, Maybe that worked for most people, but it might not work for you. So whatever we talk about today, especially when it comes to this highly emotional charged topic of sugar, I think it is just so extremely important that you remember that you are the parent of your children and you aren't going to be in charge of what is happening in your home. I'm not. I'm not the expert on my, your family. Um, I'm barely the expert on my family. But you are the expert on your family. And so anything that we talk about today, you're going to have to filter through your reality. Because when it does come to feeding kids, and this is something that I learned right off the bat when when it brought my nine-month-old into the pediatrician and she told me he wasn't gaining weight. I was like, wow, okay, feeding kids is a lot trickier than I thought. And then I had a picky eater. And so, you know, our reality is like my reality as Jennifer Anderson with my children is going to be much different than your reality uh, based on who you are and who your kids are. 
So um, I like to think of any nutrition, feeding, any recommendations I ever make to be really rooted in the real world, as in we're real people. We have constraints. We have, we get tired at night. We feel overwhelmed at times. Sometimes we don't have uh, what we need. We maybe don't have a lot of money right now or, you know, some we're going through grief or, or something. So we live in the real world and we're, we make, you know, me and the, all the Kids Eating Color team, we all make real world recommendations. They're based on evidence, but also they're in the real world. Yeah. Yeah, I think I really appreciate you saying that too. And I would say me as a young dietitian would have never said that. Like, this is what I'm going to tell you to do and yeah. you need to follow this, you know. But now that I have a few more years under my belt, I and I also am an adult more so than I was back then. And I see what the real world actually looks like and what that means. It is so refreshing to hear that from anyone really a dietitian anyone in the healthcare field that well we know what is generally best advice we also know that that might not work for you and your family i mean yeah we did an episode nicole and i on uh things that we used to that we've said in the past uh that changed after having kids <laughs> right <I> mean, <laughs> the I mean, list was, is long probably oh, <laughs> at least mine is <laughs> it could have been i mean it could have been a three hour long podcast right, right there's so many things that i said i wouldn't do with my kids and i would do with my kids and i would never do it's just and and then when you the reality is your kids are gonna all have different personality traits and different feeding styles and different needs and and yeah, you may not have the money that you thought you would have. It's just, yeah, the list goes on. It, yes. I mean, it's so long. The list is so long. And what works for one kid doesn't work for the other. I also, you know, and I, I want to throw this out here, especially because we are going to get into this topic of sugar. But when we look at research studies, you know, if you read the headlines, they're going to be like, research says, study says, we know this, blah, blah, blah. No, that's not how research works. Research is a bucket. Every study that goes into that bucket is a drop. The thing is, studies show different things all the time. So looking at one study doesn't mean very much. We want to see what's in the bucket. And maybe everything in the bucket was water for a long time. And then all of a sudden, all sorts of new research came out and everything really pointed to uh, grape juice. And from that point on, everything that went into that bucket is really grape juice. And so what we thought initially the answer was going to be water, in the end, it turned out to be grape juice. And that's what we really knew over time. So our understanding of research changes. And also, I think this is really important. If you look at a research study that's kind of looking for a, quote, best practice, like what recommendations are you and I going to be making to the world as dietitians? We're going to have to make some recommendation, right? We can't just go out there. I mean, we could just go out there and say, it absolutely doesn't matter. Do whatever you want. I, that's fine. But also, that's not really what people are looking for. So, you know, we have to say something. But when when we look at a research study, it's going to say, okay, let's compare kids who uh, did baby led weaning to kids who did parent led spoon feeding. They're going to compare those and they're going to say, how, how does this affect picky eating? And this is a real world example. And, uh, you know, maybe at the end of this analysis, they're going to say, well, guess what? In the, um, in the group, and I'm making up these numbers, uh, in the group that did baby led weaning, um, 60% um, or 
40% of those babies displayed some picky eating. And then when we compare that to the parent-led feeding uh, babies, those babies displayed 50, 50% of those babies displayed picky eating as toddlers. And so in the end, people conclude, oh, um, baby-led weaning reduces picky eating. But if you'll notice, 40% of the babies with baby-led weaning still had picky eating. And 50% of the babies who did spoon feeding did not have picky eating. So um, a lot of times we think this is cut and dry and there's a best practice. But the reality is many of the kids who didn't even do this, quote, best practice, had none of the the side effects. They didn't have any picky eating. And this is going to be true of every single study that you ever come across. They're going to say, if you do XYZ, you're going to get XYZ. And that's true for some people, but there's always a group of people that it doesn't work for. And it's really important to have that perspective to know every best practice is not going to be the best practice for your family. And at the same time, it is helpful and useful to pay attention to best practices because they really might be useful and helpful for your family. Yeah. We, we so badly want it to be so black and white, you know, this yeah. works and that doesn't work done, but it, it's just never like that. Right. Which is good and bad. I mean, there's pros and cons to that, but right. But dietitians that can money the waters, but in life, that's just, that's just how it is. And we just got to go with the flow and do the best we can, which is what we're doing. So, so I, Let's kind of start diving into sugar here. So I am 100% on the bandwagon of really trying to be more of an, I would call an authoritative parent when it comes to food. And if you're looking at like the feeding styles, just if anyone just isn't aware, it's really meaning love with limits or really a more supportive feeding style that allows my kids to listen to their body and their desires, but to also allow me to kind of help them achieve balance with my gentle guidance. So that's this authoritative parenting style. But lately I've been extremely overwhelmed by all the sugar. So how do you approach sugar with your kids? And what do you recommend? Because I, I assume you also use more of this authoritative approach with your kids too. Um, what do you recommend to parents specifically? Do you think they should be there should be rules around sugar? Or yeah, what does that look like? Um, what, what do you suggest? Yeah. I know you kind of just said it depends, but yeah. Right. Well, no, I think I think there's definitely a framework to think about. I think, first of all, we have to think, like, does it matter? I think it does matter. Um, kids are eating too much sugar. And, of course, a lot of this, a lot of these are kind of like there's horror stories and, and things like that. But when push comes to shove, when kids are eating a lot of sugar, it is crowding foods out. It is um, it is hard on their body. I mean, we know even even those of us who are like, yeah, sugar is fine. I, I enjoy sugar. My kids enjoy sugar. You know, we all ate a ton of ice cream yesterday. Um, at the same time, I know just like anybody else knows, you don't feel good if you eat a lot of sugar. It's It's just the reality. And additionally, we know that sometimes sugar can be added in ways that really kind of make kids override their hunger and fullness cues. And I know that we'll probably get more into that later. But I think when we're thinking about authoritative parenting, our primary job when it comes to helping our kids is to help them listen to their body. What are my internal cues? Am I hungry or am I full? Do I want more of that? Do I not want that? 
But as the parents, we are really in charge of our kids' nutrition. Like that is really our job is to teach them what balance, what um, what our cultural food diet, what our family food culture is. That's our job. It's our job to help them learn how do you eat a meal and and uh, be mindful of it or how do you eat a meal in such a way that you can tell if you're hungry or full? There's all sorts of things. And when we think of our job as kind of just like we do in all aspects of parenting, where we're providing the environment, we are doing our best to kind of help kids learn all the social skills and all the other skills and, you know, a million different things. But we're really providing their world and we're setting up their world. And then as they begin to go out beyond that, you know, I have a 10 year old now and he's he's exposed to a lot much bigger circle of the world than my eight-year-old or of course when they were younger but um especially as they're younger we're really providing that whole world for them and what that looks like so um when it's when those kids start to go out and there is that sugar everywhere that we have to kind of think of what are our family food values gonna be Like, what does balance look like for my family? In the United States, kids develop a preference for sweet foods. Most kids do because it's everywhere. And I've been doing a lot of um, diving into the research on this topic specifically in the past month or so, doing some writing on it. And, you know, there's this balance between this sort of hyper-restrictive mentality, which the research does not support as having good health outcomes. And then also this sort of anything goes, I'll provide plenty of sweets. That also doesn't work. Kids who are provided more sweets um, learn to like sweets more than kids who are not provided as much. And so kind of my talking points on this based on the research literature is we are trying to find the balance in our family somewhere in between whatever you want and it's a forbidden fruit. Forbidden fruit has negative side effects. Whatever you want has negative side effects. How do we find something in the middle that feels right to us, that feels good for our family, that takes into consideration our health, our children's health, you know, all those things. How do we find that balance? And so for us, we're just constantly trying to find that balance. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> you know, it's there's no forbidden fruits really in our house. Um, I, when it comes to, I wouldn't say there's rules around sugar anymore that there's, and there's rules around everything else. There's not like a whole lot of rules in our house. I think it's more along the lines of, are we having regular eating opportunities? Are the foods that we're providing to the kids or that they're allowed to get on their own, are those are there a variety of those foods? And can the food can the kids put together um put together meals that are balanced and that have all the food groups? You know, you got a protein food, you got some fruits or veggies, you got you got something else there. So I think when I come to approaching sugar. You know, it's an ingredient in a food. And I know I'm kind of, kind of rambling here. <laughs> no. But but really, you're you're kind of thinking, we don't need to single it out, but we do need to be mindful of it. 
you know, if I go to the store and I'm looking at all the yogurts, I do go out of my way to take a minute and see if I can get the one that has less sugar, if that makes sense for my for my family and my budget, you know, all that stuff. I think these little things where we're like, you know what? I don't know if I want to be serving a bar that has 13 grams of sugar every day because my kid also drinks chocolate milk or they they eat, um, you know, cereal that has a lot of sugar in it or or whatever it is, right? Whatever your child is eating. I like to think of it in terms of, are we giving them exposure to all the flavors or are all the flavors overwhelmingly sweet? Because if they're all sweet, then their diet is going to shift toward the sweet and that is not going to be as nutritious and conducive for growth and development. Yeah, so we as parents, another tough job we have is to figure out that happy medium between restricting and just being permissive and letting them have whatever the heck they want without putting any thought into it. Right. And I like too that you said maybe even shifting the focus on maybe not less sugar, but more of the other things. Like, are you getting enough protein? And are you getting exposed to fruits and vegetables and other foods versus no, 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 no on the sugar? Right. Okay. I like that. And I mean, also, kids should have plenty of eating opportunities that don't include any foods that have sugar in them. Right? We, yeah. I think that's important, especially in U.S. society where sugar is put into almost everything. So kids are having a hard time even being exposed to meals that don't include sugar. We don't want to make it so that they can't like foods that don't include something sweet. We want them to be able to experience a wide variety of things. Not to say there's anything wrong with sweet things. I mean, my kids eat tons of sweet (laughs) things. You know, there's chocolate chips and the muffins and there's sugar in the bread and, you, you know, it's everywhere. Um, But I think also making an effort to say, hey, can I make some meals that maybe don't have any sugar in them? Um, That's going to be a good exposure for my child, too. Yeah. Yeah. Or I like that idea. Okay, so before we we continue on with sugar, I want to set some myths straight. Uh, You know, we've got two dietitians here. I've heard and I'm sure you've heard this plenty as well. Concerned parents who believe that sugar causes overactivity, sugar causes cavities, sugar causes obesity. Let's set the record straight. I mean, let's start with the overactivity one. Yeah. I don't know a lot about that other than there is no good research to yeah, support no. that. The, no, it, there's not. They, they've done so many studies that have like compared, you know, the parents and they've said, okay, we're going to give your child a sugary drink. You rate your child's behavior and half the kids, they gave a sugary drink and half the kids, they didn't. The parents didn't know, though. And if the parents thought their kids had had a sugary drink, they rated their child's behavior as hyperactive. Um, The reality is sugar doesn't cause that. It's there's just been no experiments ever that have been able to show that. That said, we do know that for a small percentage of children, um, dies dyes can cause that. Dyes are, candy often has dyes. Um, I I think the dye thing is way overblown, but I just wanted to acknowledge that there is a a small percentage of children who are affected, right? Birthday parties. Birthday parties cause overactivity. Any sort of holiday, throwing a kid out of their normal routine, putting them with a whole bunch of other kids, balloons, music, like whatever, that is going to cause your child to be active. 
So you think about the the settings under which your child is consuming this. You think about the fact that it's possible your your child could be uh, you know sensitive to a dye. I have a child who we actually suspect maybe, and our other one for sure doesn't. Also, a lot of um, a lot of candy has chocolate, and chocolate has some caffeine and some other stimulant type things in it that can also make your child active. So I think sometimes we blame it on the sugar, but in reality, it's it's kind of everything that goes along with that that we are saying, hey, this causes X, Y, Z. Yeah. I, I love that what you just said about the birthday party. I'm thinking about this. And yeah, oh yeah, I, my kid just ate all this sugar and cake and now look how, look at them. They're just out of control. Yeah. They just went to a birthday party with all yeah. their friends, like right. out of their comfort zone, but like because they usually don't go to parties and this is just right. fun for them. Right. So yeah, and then we start to correlate the two, but there's really... Yeah, and then there's also just the reality of you imagine yourself eating a whole bunch of candy. How are you going to feel in two hours? You're going to feel crappy. Yeah. You know, unless you ate it like with a whole meal or something like that. That's just how our bodies work, right? If you are going to have this big sugar experience, you are going to feel crappy in a couple hours. Your kids are going to feel that way too. It doesn't mean that... Um, Again, it didn't, doesn't mean that your child was hyperactive because of it. It just means, you know, that's what happens um, when we come down off of something like that. Yeah. What about the, the cavities? I mean, I think we know sugar can cause cavities. But to yeah. me, I'm like, well, that's if you're eating a bunch of sugar and not using good oral hygiene. Yeah. So, I mean, that is key. At the same time, you look at something like gummies. Gummies are sticking in your teeth. Kids are eating gummies, you know, early in the day, and then they're on their teeth the entire day, and then they're brushing at night. Um, as a parent who had a child who had cavities as a toddler, um, I'm very, like, I'm very much on the we must brush twice a day we must floss every day and yeah. yes sugar is a big thing so like my kids very much know if they have had sugar i might have something to rinse out their mouth we do very few gummies in our house i mean i don't know if it's possible to kind of underestimate how disturbing and i'm not going to say traumatic because it wasn't traumatic but it was extremely disturbing yeah to have to have my toddler go in and be intubated so that they could do dental work because it's kind of dangerous to do dental work on a child um you know especially like a, a very a very young one like ours was and um now ours child didn't have that as a result of sugar but teeth and sweets and it's not just sweets it's also you know any sort of sweetened drink juice so i don't feel like we need to kind of call out just sugar it's really any sort of sweet or sticky food. Um, we just need to be mindful of it. doesn't mean we have to be afraid of sugar, although I've at times been a little paranoid with my kids about their teeth because of yeah. my experience with that. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I do think we need to be mindful and make the kids mindful too. Like, hey, you're in sports. If you have a sports drink as a part of that, you need to come home and brush your teeth because... Um, Football players get teeth rot just like kids get bottle rot from those things. So I do think we need to make our kids aware of that without making them paranoid if possible, um, but just kind of make 
toothbrushing like an important part of of our day yeah and thinking about the gummies thing you know a lot of kids are doing the gummy multivitamin so they take wine before they leave for school and then yeah. and then it's just sitting on their teeth the whole yeah entire- I, I um i definitely understand why parents would want to do that um for me it's like I can't, for me, I can't, <laughs> I can't, no. like, I, I just can't, um, I can't do it. Uh, and there's, there's so many like other forms of the vitamins that kids can chew or, you know, some kids can learn to swallow pills or things like that. I, I would prefer to see that at the same time, there is always exceptions, right? So if a parent is doing that, I am 100% not judging them. Because I definitely understand those gummies are there for a reason, right? Companies didn't make them just for fun. Parents do need that sometimes. Um, But if you are going to do something like that, give it at a time where after about 20 minutes, you can then floss and brush your child's teeth because that really will protect them from um, a lot of those risks from gummies specifically. Yes. Yes. Very good point. Even getting them at night since they're going to brush their teeth before they go to bed. Yeah. Right. All right, the last one, sugar causes obesity. I mean, I can't really, (laughs) everything, everything is about obesity. Right, of course. I mean, like I said, I've been doing, I've been doing quite a bit of research. um, And you go into the child health literature. And when I'm talking about literature, I'm talking about the studies that have come out. I don't know if one, not even one study that I have read on any aspect of child nutrition hasn't attached it to obesity. Everything is now about obesity. I think this is one of the most unfortunate things that could possibly have happened to children that we have turned it into focusing on weight and size because now we quote have this obesity crisis for children when what we have in reality is an unjust healthcare system we have a food industry that is getting away scot-free with engineering foods to be hyperpalatable so the kids eat more than they want. They put $2 billion a year into food advertising to children. And children who see that food advertising will consume more than they would have if they hadn't seen it. Which, you know, like I said, I don't have any... Like, in my opinion, there's no bad foods out there. Like, my kids eat all the foods. I eat all the foods. But what is bad is when a company is manipulating my child to eat more than they would have wanted. They are creating that need. And this, like, when you look at the effect of food marketing on children and their communities, that's where you start to see poor health. I don't even, like... I have such a low tolerance now for people talking about the childhood obesity crisis. I really think that it is a food industry greed crisis, that it is a social justice crisis um, that's affecting children's health. Not, uh, I mean, again, I don't want you to focus on their weight. Are kids getting hypertension as children? Yes. Are they having high cholesterol? You know, um, dyslipidemia, uh, fatty liver disease, like as children. Yeah, we're seeing all these. That's what I'm concerned about. Does sugar cause obesity? I have no idea and I don't care. But um, sugar absolutely 
if you eat a lot of it, does cause inflammation. That doesn't do anything good for anybody. Um, sugar can lower the immune system a little bit, things like this. But again, you're, it's mostly crowding out everything else that we need to maintain a healthy heart and get that fiber to have a healthy gut and to get the cholesterol out, like all those things. So um, when I think about sugar, I think the main problem that I see is that it's crowding out everything else. And also that's just around in excessive amounts. Um, and I'm also like really not a fan of the food industry adding sugar to foods just to make us eat more of them than we would have. Like I want to enjoy my I want to enjoy my food, but I really dislike the idea that somebody is like putting something into my food so that I override my own hunger and fullness cues just so they make money. Like I just can't get over that. Like it's just I like I said, I can't I can't get over it. And neither can my husband because I can't stop talking about it. <laughs> so he has to hear about it all the time. So he can't yeah, get over it either. <laughs> nobody, nobody is getting over this. Yeah, it's, yeah. Ew. And I agree with everything you said. And I think from the, taking it from the top, you know, sugar causing, going from the, from what I said earlier, sugar causing obesity. The, the concern shouldn't be the obesity. Like that's right. just a body shape. It's just, right. it's just, we are, some of us are skinny. Some of us are in between. Some of us are fat. Some of us are small. I mean, just, that's just a body type. The more we complain about obesity, the more this gets internalized into our kids' heads. And then they think there's something wrong if they have a larger body. And, and again, you're right. It, it's not the obesity. It's the early onset diabetes or blood pressure concerns or hyperlipidemia. And that's, the concern. Why are we talking right. about body size? Right. Um, I, I, I know mean, why we are. We're obsessed right. with them, but hopefully that won't change. <laughs> right. And I laugh. Of course, it's not even remotely funny. I laugh because it's so, I, I mean, what else are you, you know, to reduce the stress, what else are you going to do? And, you know, I know I've, I've spoken with obesity researchers and, you know, they talk about some of the effects literally of fat cells and things like this. I'm like, okay, fine. But in reality, in reality, we have taken our own, you know, if you look into the roots of this kind of obsession with body size and, um, you know, especially uh, bigger body size, it, the roots are really not good. The roots come from racist ideas. Um, the way that we kind of set up our society. So there's some people who are better and some people are worse and some people are uh, have higher morals and some people don't. Um, and what it's left us with now, in addition to many of those things, which are all still true, it's left us now with a really messed up perspective where, again, I go into the research literature trying under to understand child health or trying to understand what can we do to help kids eat more vegetables? Because that matters. <laughs> you know, I think there's this idea of like, oh, if we're not going to focus on obesity, it doesn't matter what kids eat. Like, what? I don't have to focus on obesity and I can still care that kids are eating vegetables because that's going to give them fiber so that they don't have constipation, which is a huge issue, or or they have a healthy gut. There, There is... We can do both. We we don't have to focus on obesity and we can also focus on our kids' health. 
But we really can't truly focus on our kids' health if we're obsessed with weight. I just truly believe that because I look into the research literature and every single study, it's like they have to. They have to connect this to obesity. Otherwise, they're not going to get funded for their research. They're not going to be taken seriously, whatever it is. And I think it's extremely unfortunate. Um, And it just contributes. It contributes to social injustice all over the place, not to mention bias and discrimination and all sorts of other things. And it just clouds the issue. You know, it's not a childhood obesity crisis. That's not the crisis. The crisis is children at communities being manipulated and taken advantage of for profit. And that's not okay. That is a real crisis. Yeah, I could certainly talk about this topic all day long. And yeah, so going back to what you were saying, so in many ways, I agree with you. Actually, I agree with you in all the ways that these food companies, again, going back, it's not it's not the sugar. It's that these food companies are like manipulating their food so that we and the kids especially are eating them past this period of comfort or, or fullness and being comfortable. And they they just it's like a drug at that point where they're just eating and eating and eating and they don't even they're not even able to relate to how they are feeling in their body. And so that's what's causing maybe not not necessarily the thinking about the body changes, but yeah, the 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 um problems such as diabetes and, and blood pressure, that's what's causing it, regardless of if they gain weight or not, because there's also kids out there who are eating the same types of food, eating maybe too much for themselves, eating past comfort, but they're not gaining weight and like, but we're not we're just going to ignore them because they're uh, quote unquote healthy weight. It doesn't make any sense. Right. No. And that's the problem. Yeah, that's exactly. The problem is all of a sudden, you know, I there have been times in my life where I've um, been thin because I was very, um, like, I think about this one time period um, around grad school where I had experienced a very tremendous depression. And I got out of it, and the medication that I took caused me to lose weight. People were like, oh my gosh, you look so great. I mean, I was struggling. I was not great. I was not healthy at that time. I was trying to like get out of this very dark place and kind of move on with my life. And I just happened to have lost weight, right? But all of a sudden I'm healthy because I'm thin. That's not true. Like, again, like you're saying, so you have, some people can eat, like, doesn't matter what they eat. They can eat past fullness every single day and they're skinny and everybody's like, oh, they're skinny, therefore they're healthy. No, that skinny does not equal healthy and and then we are again we're just saying okay your your genetics are such that you're going to stay thin and so we don't even have to care about what you eat it doesn't matter we don't have to care that you're not truly nurturing your body in a lot of the ways that would be optimal if you were capable of it yeah yeah and then those children are internalizing those messages and it'll oh, carry yeah. on until they're adult, whether they're skinny, whether they're, they're fat, whether they're, it doesn't matter what size of body they have. They, that, right. that, that's still that messaging is going to be internalized and affect them as they get older and they have those same beliefs about their body shape and size and yes. health and all that. Exactly. So I heard you say, and I, and I completely agree that 
for me, like when I see my kids eating a lot of sugar, I'm not necessarily thinking, oh, it's sugar, it's bad. I'm thinking, okay, they're eating this sugar and it's displacing them eating something more nourishing. So for example, mm-hmm. of course, when they come home from school, they're ravenous. And I try very hard to have something out on the table. But I'll try to have like a, some cut fruit or some vegetables, again, rare, but every once in a while I do this, out on the table or some type of a snack they can see before they go and raid the pantry because inevitably they're grabbing something with a lot of sugar. And I think to myself, this is the perfect time for them. They're hungry. They want some quick energy. They want something that they, that they'll eat anything at this point, honestly, yeah, they're so yeah. hungry. So I need to give them something nourishing, but if I don't get to them fast enough, they'll, you know, take get candy or uh, I can't even think of other examples of what they'll, oh, uh, like a protein bar that's not this, like a kid type of protein bar that has, right. that maybe they already had in their lunch that has, you know, whatever amounts of sugar in it. I'm just thinking, uh, right. rather than eat something else that's more nourishing. And that's what's constantly going through, through my mind. And I, I was going to ask, you know, what do we do not to restrict? I think you've already answered that question in a lot of ways, because I don't want to be that parent who says, no, 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 you can't have that. But I think for me, what I found helpful is just to continue to offer the other options. But also for me, I've also found that making sure I'm on the same page with my husband as far as what to bring in the house in the first place. I will say I like sweets very much. I always have. My husband is very much a sweet. I don't want to sweet. He's got a sweet tooth. And he'll go to the store with the kids and come back with, I mean, just all the stuff and then that's in our pantry and then i feel a little bit out of control i'm like not with myself but like how we got to control the kids around this and i just like this vicious cycle you know but you've i I don't know any any thoughts on on yeah so i think i think there's a couple things there's there's different schools of thought there's different philosophies and you know some people are like it should be available all the time and kids can eat it however much they want all the time and they'll learn to self-regulate I think a lot of that particular idea comes from the intuitive intuitive eating movement. But I think what we forget is intuitive eating is a therapeutic program that was designed to help adults reestablish their relationship with their body and their relationship with food so that they could get out of diet culture and they could come back to taking care of themselves, loving food, loving life, right? And we've taken, some people have taken that model and they said, we need to raise our children in this model. And therefore they will not, they will not have a quote, bad relationship with food or any sort of disordered eating. There's no research whatsoever behind that idea. And, you know, I'm all for experimentation. And again, people, people can kind of do whatever feels right to them. Um, one of the things that that doesn't consider is, uh, is your child. What kind of child do you have? Do they have a sweet tooth? Do they not? As I mentioned before, there's research now that shows if you um, provide a child with a lot more experiences of sweets, they develop a higher preference for sweets, which is fine. There's nothing, um, again, I'm not, you know, if you are a sweets family and that's what you do, that's fine. But maybe... You want your child to develop a sweet tooth, but not add to it, in which case you would want to really rely on covert restriction, which is basically 
restricting your, your child in ways that they don't understand. You're like the undercover, you know, person taking care of the environment. So that would include not bringing the things into your home, not making them available. And the kids aren't missing it um, because it's just not there. Yeah. I had one person recently said, say, oh my gosh, you are so fat phobic because you suggested that a parent could both allow their child to eat as much as they wanted of a food and also, in other ways, not bring certain foods into your home. Um, it's not true. The reality is, <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I think she was suggesting that I was concerned that this would make kids gain weight. No, it, it's not. Um, but the reality is, covert restriction is associated with better healthy eating index, better diet quality, all those things. Now, of course, as kids get older and they know what foods are there and they know what's available, um, it's nothing is very covert. Additionally, right. I like to I like to take an approach, and this is for all foods, not just sugary foods. As we're growing our kids to go into life, what skills do they need? Well, they need to be able to go to a birthday party. We were at a birthday party two weeks ago um, there was a very small cake and there was ice cream, but they were only giving people one serving of ice cream. I need my child to be okay in a setting where they want something, but they can't have it, right? Because there's often times where you say, oh my gosh, I'm a little bit more hungry, but not everyone has had their fair share or we didn't have enough of that item and I'm taken care of. Maybe I would have eaten a little bit more, but I also have to be okay with that experience. I have to be okay going to a birthday party and saying, oh, there's only one of that thing. So in our house, we have lots of different eating opportunities. We have opportunities where they eat as much as they want. We have opportunities where they can choose whatever they want from the house. We have opportunities where there's only certain things available. We have opportunities where there's only one serving available. Um, and for me, that is what feels right in between that balance of, again, the forbidden fruit, which just doesn't have a lot of good things associated with it, and the sort of unconditional permission to eat, which might be fine for an adult going through the intuitive eating program, but which is not associated with better diet quality for children, right? And so in our house, having all sorts of eating opportunities, taking into consideration my family various people's medical or, you know, constitution needs or like anything else, personalities, how can we find that balance? You know, if we have, let's say, ice cream after dinner, it's unlimited. Kids can eat as much as they want. If we have a dessert with dinner, which is something we will also do, uh, one serving is available. If we have, uh, if they eat something with their afternoon snack, sometimes it's unlimited if it's, you know, whatever, uh, often it often usually usually it's unlimited but let's say we're going through a time where there is a lot of candy all day every day you know last year leading up to Halloween my kids were getting candy before Halloween now I know my kids again like I mentioned one of them is potentially sensitive to some of the things in the candy and I was like oh my gosh I can't have them eating a lot of candy right now I know what that means for my kids. So for a while leading up to Halloween, it was you can have a piece of candy with your afternoon snack and that was fine. Again, we're still doing these other things where they 
can eat as much as they want. They can eat their fill. They can find out, you know, experiment with themselves. Um, so I don't think there's a black and white answer where you should say, oh, it can always be this or it can never be this. Your child can have a good relationship with food and with their body and also have times where something is restricted and times when it's unrestricted, right? That's how life works, you know? Um, I'll just stop there. Otherwise, otherwise I won't <laughs> stop talking for an hour. <laughs> oh, it's good information. So yeah, I'm thinking about this. And I, and I, yes, I am an intuitive eating counselor. I help adults um, reestablish their relationship with food and their body. And I would agree. Like Sometimes I find myself thinking, if I gave my son in particular unconditional permission to eat the like sugar, he would quite literally eat that all day and every day. Whereas my training has taught me, well, you know, when you give yourself unconditional permission, you'll start to feel it doesn't feel that great. So you'll be inclined to stop. Uh -huh. but that's as an adult, you know more, you know more about nutrition. Like you're just, you're more in tune to your body. And and I certainly want my son to learn that and recognize that, but I just don't think like his frontal lobe is developed enough to really be able to do that. So I think that's a really good, I like your idea of covert rules rather than say you can only have one a day or you can only have this much. Let me, let me measure it out for you. I think if you can covertly have those food rules, which might mean like not bringing the food in as much or thinking about like what did he what, what what kind of parties have been happening at school what parties do they have coming up i'll think about that a lot too like on any given week do we have any big parties like we have two birthday parties this weekend they're going to be eating a lot of sugar so we're probably not going to do a, a real we do dessert every night but we're just going to keep it small on 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 each night leading up to that to that party and then on that particular day of the party we're gonna that's their dessert i usually tell my kids like they can have they ha they can have a sweet treat every single day but I usually say like if they're going to have, like yesterday we went to a, a Labor Day festival a couple days ago and they had uh, like a slushy with tons of like, liquid flavored syrup added to it. And then they had three pieces of candy and my son was asking for the candy. I said, I said, Cameron, you can have this candy, but just so you know, I was going to save it for your late night snack tonight, like for after dinner, because you always like to have something sweet. But if you want to eat it now, I'm, you're not going to have anything after that. And he said, okay. So he's ate it then. And after dinner, he complained a little bit, but I held my ground. I said, nope, you had your sweet treat already. I gave you the option to have it uh, now or then, and you chose then. So, and it worked out really well. I have to say, I was kind of proud of myself for that one. Right. I mean, boundaries aren't bad. Boundaries aren't bad. And I think we really, truly, deeply don't want our kids to have a bad, to fall into eating diet culture. Um, truly. And, and I think that's a really important thing for all of us. And that's what we're shooting for. But I think in some ways, we've really kind of taken this idea of adult therapeutic practice and said it applies to children. And again, though, every family is going to find their way. Now, if you have a parent who is going through an intuitive eating process right now, I can see how it would make a lot of sense for that parent to also apply those things to their family. Or if, let's say you have a you have a, a a parent who's in eating disorder recovery. Again, I think even applying a rule of like one treat a day is really not going to be 
conducive to that parent healing, yeah. right? Or maybe it is. I don't really know. But um, I think there's always times where you have to say, where am I at? Because as parents, we have to make sure in as much as we can, we're taking care of ourselves and our mental health. Um, and so that may carry over. But also a lot of these thoughts don't consider, you know, your child's medical condition. You know, I have a friend whose child just got type one diabetes and she was like, we were up at two in the morning force feeding our child jelly beans because his blood sugar was so low. It was so dangerous. Like they had to. Can you imagine waking your child up at two in the morning being like, you have to eat jelly beans you or candy or like anything, but they pretty much had to force him. That's okay. You are taking care of what your child needs. Yeah. Let's say you have a, now another thing they don't consider is neurodivergence or your child's, um, you know, interest in eating. There is, are going to be children who are more responsive to sweets less ability, have less of an ability to tell when they're hungry or full. And it's your job to really help them find that balance and have those boundaries so that they're not responsible for this. Some kids are not going to be able to stop when they feel good. And I don't think it's kind or helpful for a child who has trouble with that to just be like, okay, keep eating until you feel bad. I know you don't even have the skills, but I want to make sure you have a good relationship with food so, you know, you can eat as much as you want. I don't think that's what kids need. And I don't right. think that's what they want. I think they need you as the parent to understand who they are. Are they a child who heard that that candy is bad and now they're paranoid and now they're like always wanting to eat only healthy things? That's a great setup for saying, OK, you can eat as much candy as you want all the time right? Because that's okay. So you really have to know your child. Are they leaning towards restriction? Are they leaning toward totally out of controlness? Like, where are they at? Based on my kids, this is how I've chosen to set it up. There are times where I said, hey, you can only have so much of X, Y, Z. The same with milk. I mean, we also have that too, you know? My picky eater, guess what he would have lived on? Milk. How do we keep him out of the extreme picky eating category? By only making milk available at certain meals and snacks, right? Yeah. He's got a great relationship with milk. He's got a great relationship with other food and it kept him out of extreme picky eating. So I think, you know, we're we're all good, even though restriction, and I almost feel like restriction is the wrong word. I almost feel like boundaries is a better word. You know, as a parent, I'm providing an environment that is that has boundaries to keep you safe and happy and allow you to grow and learn as you're developmentally ready. Yeah, and kids kids like boundaries. Mm -hmm. Even though they don't like them, they also thrive on them. Like my daughter, I'm kidding you not, I was driving her home from gymnastics yesterday and I was like, it was it, it was late, it was late for her. She gets, it's her late day. And I said, oh, are you gonna go, are you gonna use your iPad in bed and do Duolingo before you go to bed? She said, Mom, I thought I wasn't allowed to use the iPad before I go to bed in my room. What happened to boundaries? And I was like, oh, I mean, she, I'm, I'm not even kidding. And she said it just like that. Like she was waiting for me to give her her boundaries because she wanted it. And she's right. I mean, I don't, I don't know why I, I wanted her to do the Spanish lesson, but I also, she's right. I don't let her bring her iPad into her room before bed. So why would I 
And so she was looking for that boundary. And I think the same thing with kids. I I think you're right. It's not restriction. It's boundaries. And, and depending on your kid, you can decide what kind of boundaries to use. And that's a really good point. It's going to, it might even be different with, with all of your kids, which could also make it more difficult because if you use one boundary with one and not the other, it can be a little choppy. I, that could probably be a whole another episode. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, yeah. I mean, in our house, we pretty much have to have the same boundaries with both kids and that has negative effects for some and positive for the other, but we figure, you know, it is what it is. Um, I, I just think I, I kind of, this idea of like restriction versus boundaries can also perhaps help parents think about, um, you know, am I using restriction as a tool because of my own perspective of diet culture or my own obsession with body weight? Because we see parents all the time who are like, um, you know, I had a parent send me a DM once and she said, oh my gosh, I'm so distraught. My 11-year-old took all of her birthday money and went with her friends and bought junk food at the store. And we've been telling her for years and years and years, other people eat like that, but we don't eat like that. And this is just who we are as a family. And now she went behind our back and she snuck away and she did all this. And she said, she said, my what we've done now is we've taken away all of her money and she's not allowed to see her friends for a while. And I thought, I was like, you know, I, I think that maybe this is not a boundary, right? This is an example. And I think most people hear this and they're like, oh, yeah, something seems off here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, maybe you are restricting your child and you can kind of see some of these behaviors where you're like, oh, wow. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that I'm doing something, but I want to keep doing right. And I think that's the other thing we have to keep in mind is maybe I am restricting or maybe I'm being permissive and maybe I want to find something a little bit more in that middle ground that is going to help my child, you know, out with whatever's going on. And I think this is true with any parenting strategy. You try it, you see what happens. And I've certainly tried some strategies and then I'm like, oh, wow. This is not what I was hoping for from, from this strategy. And I would like to change my strategy at any time. If you're like, I had a more restrictive strategy and it just is not going the right direction. Um, and now I have a child who's paranoid about food and they're obsessing about it. You know what? I'm going to change my strategy and I am going to go in a way more liberal direction. You can do that at any time. Same way if you're like, wow, we were going, you know, in this super like anything goes sort of eating. But you know what? Like my kid's diet quality has gone down really far and I actually have some nutrition concerns for them. It's okay to make that, make some changes and re, you know, redo your your boundaries or your environment or whatever you're going to do. It's okay to change your strategy at any time. Yeah. And if your kids start questioning mom or dad, why, why, what's going on here? You can simply say, I, I've done some reading. I've learned some things. We're changing things up. Just like right. a simple, you know? Yeah. I've, yep. You can acknowledge it. Yeah. Right. And you can, you can still put it in the same way. Like, I think whatever we're doing, it's never, I don't, I don't like to say uh, never because I always, always had to eat that in the end. Um, but we can present, all this information in a very positive way. We don't have to speak negatively about nutrition or sugar. You know, I've never had a conversation with my 10-year-old about how sugar can cause inflammation if you eat too much of it. 
Right. I don't see any reason to have that conversation with him, maybe ever, but certainly not until maybe even high school, right? We don't really need to be getting into the negatives. I think really focusing on the positive, like how do we make a balanced meal? How do we, um, you know, why am I limiting candy? Because I want to make sure you can concentrate for the rest of the afternoon and that you have some other foods on your plate, right? Um, I didn't say anything negative about the candy unless you're only eating candy. And for me, that's the message that I want my kids most to take away is like, look, if you only eat broccoli, you're never going to be healthy. If you only eat chocolate, you're also never going to be healthy. And he has had this conversation with his friends like, hey, chocolate, he has gone to bat for chocolate so many times where his friends have said, oh, that's unhealthy. And he's like, no, it just does a few things in your body. But if you only eat broccoli, you're also going to be unhealthy, right? And yeah. so he's going out there taking the messages that we've had and trying to tell his friends, look, balance is important. There's no such thing as bad food. Chocolate isn't bad. It's different than broccoli, but it's not bad. And I can eat my chocolate every day. I mean, I'm pretty sure my cho- my kid has eaten chocolate every day for the past three years. Um, but it's it's about your whole diet, right? We don't need to be, I yeah. mean, he's gotten really upset about it recently too. It's like, my friends don't understand. They just keep talking about all these foods being unhealthy, but they're not being not, they're not unhealthy. It's only if we only eat those foods. And you know, he gets it, but he's also up against his friends now who are really pushing this narrative. And you know, he's 10. They're really pushing this narrative of healthy versus unhealthy foods. He's not comfortable with it. Um, but I think we can really instill that in our kids. Like, no, chocolate isn't unhealthy. Sugar isn't iner- inherently unhealthy. It's only when we're crowding out everything and we're losing that balance and we're losing the the nutrients to actually get what we need to be healthy, as healthy as we can be. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, I love it all. Such good information. And especially right before the holidays, which is when this episode is coming out. So I think you've given a lot of good tips for oh, just what to think about as parents when the days come, which I feel like are never ending, where there is candy and parties and cakes and cookies almost everywhere. They're just ubiquitous in society uh, around this time. And now we've got some things to think about and to consider. And yeah, it's not the sugar. It's the what else are they eating? The the dietary pattern. Right. And I have a day when they eat all a lot of sugar. And and guess what? That's okay. Let's try to balance that out with other foods right. stealthfully or covertly um, even. And as they get older, we can talk about it too. I think that's a good point too. We can we can have more frank conversations with our kids as they get older and start to understand um they're just understand concepts better, right? Right. So And I think it's you know, going into the holidays, like, good luck having your child eat less sugar. I mean, my perspective on the holidays is whatever happens, happens. And I'm just gonna try not to add to it. So like yeah. I'm not gonna offer a lot of desserts at home or a lot of sweeter things. I'm going to just in terms of what I'm buying for the household, I'm going to tone it down because I know that it's just going to be everywhere. So they're not yes. going to be they're not going to be uh, like restricted in any way um, from this experience of eating a, you know, way too much sugar uh, to even feel good. But they are still going to have that experience. But also I am not going to get 
wrapped up in the drama. Like, yes, I am just especially now that Art, my kids are a little bit older. Um, I, it is what it is. And fine, go to the party, whatever you want to eat. I'm not even, like, I don't even want to know. Really, it's not even interesting to me. Yeah. I'm just going to focus a little bit more on kind of what I'm offering at home without. Yeah. And, you know, the holiday candy comes in and the Halloween candy comes in. Fine. Eat all your Halloween candy in a couple days. Well, yeah, just get it out if that's what you want to do. I mean, I have one kid who like draws it out and I have another kid who wants to eat it in three days. Do whatever you want to do with your Halloween candy. That's totally fine. Again, I'm not going to get wrapped up in the drama. Just eat what you're going to eat. And then, you know, I'll I'll take care of everything else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that philosophy so much. We can't resist it. We we just got to accept it and uh, do what we can. What we have control over, we, we will control that. So <laughs> that was good. Okay. So Jennifer, where can listeners find you before we get um, the end of this interview? Yeah. Where I know you're on Instagram, yep. et cetera. We're going to Yeah. Find you. I'm on Instagram, um, TikTok, threads, technically. Oh. Um, need to start threading a little bit more. Uh, Kidsincolor.com. There's tons of helpful information. There's also a parent toolkit to talking to your child about weight. I know we talked a lot about obesity. And um, when the American Academy of Pediatrics guideline on child weight came out, uh, we put together a really in-depth, thoughtful response to that, including a toolkit to help parents kind of think about like health versus weight. Um, how do you think about that? How do you focus on your child's health without focusing on their weight? How do you focus on, uh, you know, what are healthy lifestyle things to be shooting for when you're not focusing on weight? And additionally, we have an article on like how to handle medical visits, including a PDF um, that parents can download with questions to ask their doctor um, that are not focused on weight, but are focused on getting the information that they need for their child's health. So um, that's all there free. And I think that would be helpful based on some of our conversation here. Oh, absolutely. I did not realize that was there. So I will link that in my show notes. Yeah. All right, Jennifer, thank you so much for being here today. It's been uh, really great talking with you. And yeah, thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks so much, Gina. Okay, I hope you enjoyed the interview with Jennifer as much as I did. As a reminder, see all the links that she mentioned in the show notes for ways to work with or learn about Jennifer and her work, uh, including, of course, her Instagram, her Facebook, TikTok, etc. Let's go into favorite new products or recipes. I made a slow cooker chili the other day that was, in my opinion, delicious. My husband didn't agree. I actually put butternut squash in there, which he did not like. But you know what? Ironically, I I put that in there to replace another ingredient that he doesn't like, but turns out I didn't realize he didn't want to have butternut squash. Sometimes, you know, your your husband's or your spouse can be just as picky as your kids, right? And that's okay. Uh, so I thought it was delicious. It, I topped it with some cheese and some avocado. It was very easy. Just dump all the ingredients in the slow cooker. It was essentially a one pot dish, which I love push start. It was ready in three hours. I'm going to be making it again. I won't add butternut squash next time. By the way, it wasn't in the recipe. I just thought I'd be cool and add butternut squash. Uh, But like I said, not doing that again. All right, that's it for today. Coming up on November 6th, I will be talking about 10 convenience foods that I love. Until then, treat yourself with the respect you deserve. 
be the best friend you've always wanted, reach out to me at any time on Instagram at nutritionunmeasured or via email at trustyourbodyrd at gmail.com.